Yeah. 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 Forty-eight years, never mind two years. Forty-eight years ago, I was a young man <coughs> of twenty then. Forty-eight years ago, and I was travelling round. Believe it or not, I was travelling round in a horse caravan preaching the gospel. I remember going all round Leicester, Sileby, Barrow-on-Saw, Mount Sorrow, Quorn. Uh, all round there in a horse caravan yeah. and then we came down to a place called Newark <laughs> and I remember preaching in the marketplace of Newark it's had a lot of changes since then 48 years ago this is really 48 years 1932 that is 48 years ago isn't it 1932 and I remember preaching in the marketplace at Newark, and I'll tell you what I was preaching on. Opposite me was a shop called the Public Benefit Shoe Company. And I picked up the word public benefit, and I started to preach. I took that as my text, the public benefit. And I began to preach on what is the public benefit, and what is it that benefits the public? Well, you know, it's not a what, it's a who, and his name is Jesus. Amen. And I was preaching on this, and there was a little man down here hopping and jumping about and saying, Hey man, hey man, hey man. <laughs> and I looked at him, and his name was Henry. That's 48 years ago. Then I came to Newark for three weeks, and I stopped with a little man called Foster for a week. I stopped with Henry and Connie for a week, and I stopped with... Uh, Henry's father and mother in the signal box at Claypool. Every time the express train went by, I found myself in the middle of the night out of bed, just busy waking up, <laughs> and then I had to get back into bed again. And that is all those years ago. And you know, <clears throat> out of those days there emerged a little story, and anybody who knows me knows the story. It's got whiskers on it. <clears throat> But I make no apologies for it. God has delivered me from repetition. Some people don't hear something until you've heard it three times. Or four, or five. But we went to, <coughs> to this place, Quorn, I think it was, uh, near Loughborough. And there was a big, big farmer there. Six feet five as he was an inch. And uh, he was a Christian, and he said to us, we had our horse caravan, old black mare and the caravan. He says, now listen, boy, I'm glad to see you. And while you're here, you're welcome. And you can have as much milk and as many eggs and as much butter as ever you want. Unharness the old mare, put her down there, the grass is nice and green and light. Put your caravan up there by the hedge. It's out the wind. Uh, there's a tap in the farmyard and you can get your water there. Now make yourselves at home and don't forget as much milk, as many eggs, as much butter as ever you want. Next morning, I said to my pal Ted, I said, give me the milk jug. 
He was busy putting his cornflakes out, and I crossed the field. We'd already been for water the night before. I crossed the field with the milk jug, got to the door, and banged on the door. And along the passage, boom, boom, boom. And the door went bang, and there he stood. Arms akimbo, great big fellow he was with a white milking smock on, 65. Well, he said, did you have a good night? I said, um, oh yes, thank you, wonderful. Uh, just come to take advantage of your kind offer for some milk. So he took out a great big coal shovel of a hand, took the jug, and he says, um, what's this? Uh, a joke? Jug? 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 How much does this thing hold? Pint? Pint? Uh, yes, might hold a pint and a half. She says, man alive, I drink a pint of milk before I go to milk the cows in the morning. I'm not filling that thing. So I looked at him. I didn't have anything else. <coughs> I said, that's the only, it's the only jug we've got. Well, he says, I'm not filling. What do you get your milk in? What do you get your water in? Oh, water. Water. Oh, get the water in buckets. It's a big bucket. It holds two gallons. Bring the bucket, man. Listen, bucket or nothing. <laughs> I stood there and I looked at him. I suppose my mouth just dropped open. He says, go on, I'm not filling that thing, bucket or nothing. And we were there three weeks. And every day for three weeks, I took the bucket. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that we had two gallons of milk every day, but I never had so much milk in all my life. I drunk the stuff, we made rice puddings, blancmanges, custards, we added on cornflakes, cereals. We did everything but washing the stuff. <laughs> never had so much milk in all my life. But now, that's one of my favorite stories, and it goes back all those years ago, just to the time when I met Henry for the first time. But I'm telling you now why I remember that story. That left an indelible mark in my life. I see myself standing on the threshold of God's provision, and I can hear God like the farmer saying, All this is yours. And I come with my little pint bucket, my little pint jug. You know what it says in Psalm 78? It says, They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, God isn't limited. God is limited. God isn't limited. God is limited. You limit God. I limit God. I've got a verse here. I'll read it to you. Most of you know it. But just listen to it as if you'd never heard it before in your life. It's Romans 8, and it's verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I'll read it again. For the law of the Spirit. Oh. 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 
Is there a law of the Spirit? Well, it says so here. A law of the Spirit? I thought the Spirit set me free from law. I'm free from the law. What do you mean? The law of the Spirit? What Spirit? Whose Spirit? Which Spirit? The law of the Spirit of life. Oh, well, now, 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 now I'm getting interested. I always have been interested in life. There's only one thing to do with death, and that's bury it. Run it out, quick, bury it. But life is what every man seeks. But how he interprets it is different. Some men think they can find life in the rose and crown, or the dog and whistle, or the buckets and spades. Some think they'll find it in a brothel. Press the button for lazy up in Soho. Some think the island of Capri or out in Hawaii. Some think in a tent. Some think swimming. Some think football. Kicking a ball. A ball dominates most people's lives. Whether it's a golf ball or a tennis ball or a football or any kind of a ball. The whole of life, the whole of the world revolves around a ball. I'm not speaking against ball games, but if that's all you've got in your life, it's a tragedy. But don't you see, people interpret where they can find life. Yeah. You remember the days, some of you older people, when you used to see that old man in his pajamas clinging to a bottle of bovril, prevents that thinking feeling. Uh, uh. <laughs> see that other advertisement, the joy of living, high in 67 varieties. Is this the joy of living in the tin of beans? <laughs> Guinness is good for you. Who says so? Guinness do. <laughs> Could it be that they've got some interest in the business? I know something that's good for you. I know what the joy of living is. And it's not in a bottle of phosphorine or wind corners or lucasade. The law of the spirit of life. Where is it? Where is it? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Where is it? God put it somewhere. It isn't just anywhere, everywhere, somewhere, nowhere. The law of the spirit of life, God has deposited it somewhere. Oh, well, please tell me. Yes, I'll tell you. The law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, God put it in a man. And you cannot have it unless you have the man. Receive the man, you receive the spirit. And it's the spirit of life. And it's the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. Then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken, quicken, quicken the mortal body. Behold, he that putteth shall hide, and all earth's wisdom shall not discern, but only by his Spirit, who guides into all truth, shall men find the treasure of heaven. The law of the Spirit of life, you see, in Christ Jesus. Oh. So then, I'm not going to receive or find out this law of the Spirit of life unless I bow at the feet of Jesus. Exactly. 
You pass him by, you pass the spirit of life by. My people, God says in Jeremiah, have committed two evils, not one, two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out for themselves systems, broken systems that can hold no water. And the whole of the world is seeking and not finding. I've tried the broken systems, Lord, but all the waters fail. Even as I stoop to drink, they mock me as I wail. You know, Jesus is the fountain, the source, and God has put the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And you know something? Glory to God. You know something? This same spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus, my Bible tells me, Romans 8, verse 2, will make me free from the law of sin and death. No, 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 no. It will not make me free. It has made me free. Now that's vital. That's vital. It, it, it does not read that the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus will make me free from the law of sin and death. No. The law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus has made me now you get people coming out to me what do you want I want a touch oh what do you want I want a filling you want a filling sounds like a dentist <laughs> what did you do with the last where did you leak <laughs> Jesus says he that believes on me out of his inmost being like a flow not gurgles splutter or drink but the flow rivers of living water the final purpose of God is that you will not come to a meeting to get, you'll come to give. And out of your being, no flow. Now then, this spirit, which is in Christ Jesus, has made me free. How can I ask God to do what he's done? Now, if the devil can play, which is one of his tricks, the wiles of the devil. You see, the devil has ways of deceiving men. Yeah. He's powerless in truth. He abhorred not in truth. He had to get out of it because it paralyzed him and reduced him to helplessness. And the power of the false is in its ability to hide the real. But once the real is revealed, it reveals the falsehood and the emptiness of that which isn't real. The devil is scared stiff of the truth. He's powerless in truth. His power is in the ability to deceive. His stock in trade are, 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 are counterfeit, mirages, hallucinations, delusions, imaginations, masks, forgeries, anything that isn't real, the devil can move in and operate him, but he's powerless in truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Abide in me. Brother, sister, if you're abiding in Jesus, I tell you in the name of the Lord, you're devil proof. You're devil proof. Jesus says, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. The devil has a terrible time with the law of the spirit of life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now then, the devil's only hope somehow is to trick me 
into believing the lie. And then when I believed that lie, I put the devil back into business. God put him out, but I can put him back in. Because what I believe rules me. You do not rule what you believe. What you believe rules you. Tell you a silly story. You may smile, but there's a point to it. <clears throat> a man went into a public house and he ordered a pint of beer. So the barman brought him the pint of beer and put it on the counter. And the man took a little packet out of his pocket with a white powder in it. I was telling Henry this before the meeting. <clears throat> and he, he took this white powder and he sprinkled it round his pint of beer. So the bar attendant, he says, to him, what are you doing? Oh, he says, I always do this whenever I have a drink. He says, I always sprinkle the powder around it. He says, what for? Oh, he says, it's very good stuff, this. Very good stuff. It keeps the elephants away. Who <laughs> <laughs> says what? He says, this, this powder is very good. It keeps the elephants away. So the bar attendant, he says, but there aren't any elephants. He says, no, I told you, it's jolly good stuff. It keeps them all away. Keeps them all away. Now, you get the point, don't you? That's what he believed. And even when he was proved wrong, he still believed it. The barman says, well, there aren't any elephants. No, he says, there aren't. Jolly good stuff, this. It keeps them all away. There aren't any but you see, how easily. Now the devil can trick a man in his beliefs. You see, and one of the subtle things is to get a man to politely make God a lie. Now then, we're, we're, most of us who are born again, we, we, we're, well, we are aware that uh, we've had too much life to stand up to God's face and tell him he's a downright liar to his face. But we'll perhaps do it politely with the devil's help, you see. Now this comes about by something that we call inference. And this is one of the wiles of the devil, inference. What is inference? Well, if I said to you tonight, if I took one of the brothers in this meeting, any brother, I took our brother here, and I said to him, brother, will you answer me a straight yes or no to a question? Well, that sounds all right, doesn't it? A straight yes or no to a question. He says, okay, right. <clears throat> yes or no? Please answer me this question. Have you stopped beating your wife yet? Yes or no? <laughs> yes infers that he did beat her. No infers that he will beat her, but gives no room, I trust, for the truth that he doesn't be Now that's inference. And it's one of the subtle things that the devil brings in. You see, most of us are too cunning to lift ourselves up because we know the word of God says everyone that exalts himself should be abased. So you know it's no good lifting yourself up, but it doesn't stop you putting everybody else down. <laughs> and you see, by a subtle inference, have you ever been in a company of believers, Christian believers, you know, and they begin to talk about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and they say, 
you know, he isn't all what he ought to be. <laughs> that infers that you are all that you ought to be. You see the devil's influence, how he convinced. Or again, you know, uh, you, you talk and say, well, you know, they're in error. Well, what do you think you're in? Have you arrived at all truth? The Spirit will guide us into all truth? Well, then there are still areas in your life that you have not arrived in all truth. So what are you in? Well, you're in error. Huh? You know, they're, they're in error. Yes, God have mercy. The subtlety of how the devil can bring something. Now, he can twist something. The law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus, God's word says, has made me free from the law of sin and death. See how the devil twisted things right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. God said to Adam, the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, thou shalt not eat of it, and in the day that you eat, you will surely die. Eve picks the word up and gives it to the devil in the person of, uh, of the serpent, and she says, God says we must not eat of the tree lest we die. God didn't say lest. God said surely. Then the devil flatly contradicts the lest, and he says you shall not surely die. Now, this is how the devil comes in to alter a man's beliefs. How many Christians are asking God to do what he's done? Did you ever consider that? How many Christians are back? They've put the devil back into business by believing a lie. And the devil comes in on the lie. He's powerless in truth. You see, a shark in the water is dangerous because the water is his environment. I won't go swimming where a shark is. No, no, no. He can have it all to himself. But if I saw a shark in a car park with Toyotas and Fords and Cortinas and Chevrolets, well, I wouldn't get too close, but as I watched him thrash and toss and turn, I'd say, well, you've got your problems, buddy. <laughs> and as long as I was at a safe distance, I know he's fighting for his very existence. Now then, the devil is powerless out of his environment. And his environment is always in deception. Somewhere, there'll be a lie and if he can get you to believe that lie, then he comes in on the lie. Fear is always built on a lie. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but God has given us the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Now then, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Fear is always built on a lie. Deal with fear, and fear is still here. Deal with a lie, and fear will die. Because that's its environment. When the next time you find yourself in the spirit of fear, trace it back to the lie that it's built on. And in the spot where the lie is, put the word of God, and fear will die. It cannot live. It must have a lie to survive. The devil must have a lie to survive. Now, here is something, a declared word in the book, that there is a divine law of the spirit of life, and it's in Christ Jesus, and it has made me free. 
I thank God for the liberty that there is in a meeting like this. And I praise God for the liberty of the Spirit. But brother, sister, you're a lot more free even now than you believe you are. There's still land to be possessed. Still land to be possessed. And God's purpose is to bring us into all the fullness of God. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did Jesus have fits of depression and moods? No. And the Son of God has come to live in me. And, 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 and he's yearning for fresh territory. Every place where you put the sole of your foot, how long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you has given you not will give you but has given you the promised land was a given land the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus has made me free not will make me free but has made me free now I mustn't go back over that line and ask God to do what he's done I have to enter into the availability of God I have to make my claim stake my claim and enter in the price has been paid the battle has been won it's done it's not going to be it's in the past before Abraham was I am I have to live in the is of God and the is of God is tremendous the is of God isn't the will be of God and the is of God isn't the was of God he's born blind how are you going to tell him what red is oh well well uh, you see oh no you don't see that's me that sees I see red there uh, uh, well you know what pink oh no you don't know what pink is how do you tell a blind man what red is Ah, well now listen, R-E-D spells red. All right, so what's he got now? He's got the doctrine. A lot of people have got the doctrine, but they've not got the life. You can give a blind man the doctrine of red, and he knows how to spell red, and he can say R-E-D spells red. But he's only got the doctrine of it, he hasn't got the life of it. Because to have the life of what color is, and color is real, but to have the reality of color, you've got to have real eyes. And you cannot realize without real eyes. Amen. Really? Yes, really. Color's real. Red, blue, green, yellow. It's real, but it's not real to a blind man. Tell him how to spell it, he's got the doctrine. But he cannot enter into the reality of it except through real eyes. Now then, as faith goes into the word of God, faith enables me to realize what is real. But so many people never know what is real. And they live and die and never know what is real. 1878, wasn't it? Abraham Lincoln brought about the Emancipation of the Slavery Act. There were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of these poor black people who'd been taken from Africa and they were just auctioned like cattle over in America. And men bought human beings like farmers buy cattle. And they'd buy a man and they'd buy a woman and they'd put them together that they might have children to produce their stock of slaves. 
And in those dark old days, sometimes those slaves were working 18 and 20 hours a day. They had no rights. They were slaves. They were owned. They belonged. And Abraham Lincoln brought about the Emancipation of the Slavery Act in 1878, which gave every man the right to own his own life and body. But many of those poor slaves couldn't read, couldn't write, were ignorant. And so their masters kept from them the information of the emancipation. So they went on in slavery along they were free. Do you see the picture? Isn't this what the devil does to men and women? Pull the wool over their eyes, hoodwink them, blind them, delude them, deceive them, somehow prevent them from knowing the truth because the truth will make you free. Once the truth comes, and the first thing that you and I have to do, the first word that you take to a man or a woman is the word what? Believe. Because his believing rules him, and his believing will alter him. And every one of you in this meeting tonight, you are subject to your believing. A simple illustration. Tomorrow morning, you believe is Sunday. And most of us, not all of us, because there are people on shift work, but most of us have a different mode of living on a Sunday to a weekday. Now your believing rules you. It alters the time you get up. It alters where you go. It alters where, what you do. Your whole life is ruled by a simple belief that today isn't Monday, today is Sunday, or today is Saturday. Your believing rules you. Every one of us are ruled by our believing. You came here tonight, but I looked at that board out there and I read on that board, I've come from Penmamala in North Wales today, and I felt to come and see Henry. It's, it's a long time since I've seen him, and brother took me up to see him before the meeting, and I felt to come and just fellowship with you here. Last time you were all pews and one thing and another here. Um, and, and, and I'm delighted to be with you. But I read that outside, and I thought, hello, hello, Arthur, boy, you've made a mistake here. Because it has upon your bill outside, next meeting in Fiskerton, August the 9th. I thought, oh dear, there's no meeting here tonight. Now then, I was believing what was put up on the board, and I was about to go away, and I thought, well, there's no life here, there's nobody about at all but I'll just try the handle, just in case I should be wrong. And I tried the handle, and our brother came to the door, and he said, to, I don't know what he did say, but anyway, obviously, that wasn't the truth. But it's up there, you see, next meeting, August the 9th. I thought, oh, well, there's no meeting here tonight. Now, my believing ruled me, but my believing wasn't based on truth. Because there was a meeting here tonight. Now, do you see how the devil undermines, undermines, and by inference and subtle suggestions and his many, many wiles will seek to alter your believing? Because your believing is vital. You are your believing. You rule by your believing. And you come into a meeting like this that you might change your mind. And the Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as your mind is renewed, your believing is renewed. And you begin to believe things that change you. Keeps the elephants away. 
Well, there aren't any. No, it's jolly good stuff. See? See? I mean, I was, I was packed with it as a boy until I got saved at 14 and a half. My mother chucked blocked me full of it. Don't put the umbrella up in the house. It's unlucky. You broke in the mirror. Seven years bad luck. Don't cross on the stairs. You'll have a quarrel. Knives on the table. Boots on the table. Not that anybody should put boots on the table, but still. <laughs> oh, it's unlucky. And this and that and the other. And I was crammed with this stuff. And I believed it. Yeah. But then don't you see that the whole of life is based upon dominating people's believing. Every time you look at your newspaper, every time you pass the hoardings, every time you turn the radio on, every time you look at the TV, there's somebody after altering your believing. Somebody said some years ago, there are six masterminds that control the believing of 18 million women in this country through the Women's Weekly Papers. Watch how many calories you should take, what your vital statistics should be, whether your skirt should be around your neck or around your ankles, whether, whether, your, hat should be, whether your hat should be in wimps, whether your hair should be in wimps and crimps and up like this or down your shoulders or which or what or, or, or so on, bonnets and bibs or crimpolines or, or, or what have you. Now then all the time it's going on. We men folk are no different. You sit in front of the TV. Now, once upon a time, when we were children, we have our little rhymes. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner. <coughs> Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and so on. But now, the S-O sign means happy motoring. The S-O sign means happy motoring. And so on. Everything now is geared. So, poor, harmless, helpless father, who's laughed at the wife who's being shaped and molded through the Women's Weekly. Of course, he's not. But he sits in front of the telly and then all of a sudden his favorite program is broken. Wham! And on comes something flashing on. Purcell washes whiter. Purcell washes whiter. Thump, thump, drum, 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 drum. He's not interested in Purcell. Couldn't care less about Purcell. Get, let's get over it and get back to whatever it is he's watching. Cowboys and Indians or what it is. <laughs> See? But unconsciously he becomes a victim which is shaping his believing. So one day his wife says, oh, I've run out of washing powder. Just slip round to the stores and fetch me. All right, so he goes out like a helpless sheep to the slaughter. To fetch a bag of washing powder. And he gets to the counter. Well, what's the first thing? Oh, there, <laughs> of course, first. Yeah, <laughs> it was his wife, see? So, Purcell have conquered and won his believing. He didn't know. He didn't know. But then it's going on all the time. The commercial juggernaut is ruling our lives, brother and sister. The newspapers, you see, and you think, oh, Pravda, well, all they get, the poor Russian helpless people like sheep, all they get is an idea of the imperial nations of America and Britain and, and uh, uh, why to take them from their common farms and put them in a supermarket in America would just boggle their minds. But they never see anything like that. And they're over there believing what they're believing. But don't you see, it's a parable. The devil's doing this with all mankind. He's getting people to believe something that's a lie. And your believing will rule you. Now Jesus comes to explode that lie and the truth will make you free like putting a pin in a balloon that makes you go pop. And you're set free. The Emancipation of the Slavery Act 
how many slaves there are today in our country, in the world, and they're waiting for a word, believe. Believe? Believe. Believe what? On Buddha? On Brahma? On Muhammad? No, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? The despised one? Yes. Why? Because God has deposited the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And as men and women have bowed at the foot of the cross, something has snapped inside them. And they begin to sing, I'll never be the same again, oh no. I'll never be the same again, oh no. Since I found the Lord, I'm not the same. I'll never be the same again. And it's real. It works. It changes. Jesus is changing me. But he's changing me through my beliefs. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, now then, you come to a meeting like this. And God is doing in meetings. When the anointing of God is on you. And the Spirit of God is making you to see things. Don't think because you've seen them, you've got them. Any more than walking downtown and you see some beautiful furniture in the window, because you see it in the shop window, it's not yours. There's a little ticket on it. There's a little ticket on it. That's the price you pay for it. Now you can have a free look. <laughs> But the whole purpose of giving you a free look and even keeping all the lights on after closing hours is only to tempt you and woo you. Will you come into my parlour, said the spider to the fly. It's the prettiest little parlour that ever you did spy. So that hopefully one day they want to lure you where? Not just to the window, to flatten your nose on the window and say, oh, isn't it lovely, George? Don't you think that would look nice in our bedroom? It would just fit just at the bottom of, you know, opposite the window there. It would look nice. Yes, yes, it would. Yes, yes. George, you're not interested. No, look at the price. Now then, so finally, the wooing process is to get you to a counter. Proverbs 23, verse 23 says, buy the truth. And then when you bought it, sell it now. Now the whole point of what God is doing with us is to woo us. Like a young man starts by courting, finally to wed. And you know, all the preliminaries of whispering sweet nothings in her ear, darling, you look so sweet in that dress. Yes. You know, an evening in Paris. <laughs> they stand in the shop doorway waiting for the 42 bus and it comes and she's looking into his eyes and he's looking into hers. And the bus stops and it goes. And she says, was that the bus? <laughs> yes, sweetheart. Yes, sweetheart. There'll be another one in 20 minutes. Yes. And she comes into his arms for another 20 minutes. It really doesn't seem as if the bus bothers them a lot, you know. They're in the shop doorway out the cold and the rain, and so they have another 20 minutes cuddle, and so on. Well, that's what they call being in love, you see. Now, this process goes on, 
and there's soft lights and music in a little cafe, Chinese meal, you know, subdued lighting and so on. Uh, up the river on Saturday afternoon, sunny day and so on and so forth. Uh, a nice big box of chocolates, you know, and all the rest of it. This is called the wooing process. Wooing. W-O-O. Woo. And the purpose of wooing is to win. See? Now then, don't you get any delusions about the wooing because finally the wooing is to an altar. See? And when you get to the altar, what better place to be altered than at the altar? That's what it's all about, you see? Now then, the young lady, she surrenders there. She loses her identity there. And she says, I will. And Miss Brown becomes Mrs. Smith. And she loses her identity in another. And they two become one. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and they two become one. She merges. She loses her identity in the body of the bridegroom. Now the Holy Ghost is seeking to woo you and draw you to an altar where you're going to be altered and you're going to be changed by your believing and where you become one with Jesus. That's what it's all about. Now then, to come into a meeting and to have the blessing of God is the first stage. The anointing on woos me, but there's a work in that weds me. Now that work follows the wooing. And you'll get revelation on Sunday, and you'll get a situation on Monday. Now, until your revelation works in your situation, you haven't got it. But so many people think, I've got it. I'm glad I've got it. They haven't. And when you've got it, it's got you. The hook's in, you see. And you're faced with your income tax paper. You're faced with uh, everybody else at work doing the fiddle except you. And you know you're going to be an embarrassment to everybody else because they'll be afraid of you if you don't do what they're doing. They'll be jealous of you and they'll become fearful of you because they'll think because you are not doing it that you are going to split on them that are doing it. They fiddle their accounts, they fiddle the petrol, they take this home, they take that home. Oh, it was left over, it was bits here and bits there. And the man who walks with God walks alone. Now that's the price. You're now at the counter. You're not looking at the bedroom suite outside through the window. You're now at the counter and you're facing the price you've got to pay for what you believe. Now then, so the anointing is on me and I say, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, this is wonderful. Now then, after Sunday comes Monday. God's arranged it just after Sunday. Or, if you like, after Saturday comes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It, it's all right. Oh, I had a wonderful time at the meeting. Praise God you did. Yeah, oh, brother, we were absolutely prostrate under the power, laid out on the floor. Oh, it was wonderful. Oh, did you get rid of your mother-in-law? Hey? <clears throat> did you get rid of your next-door neighbour? Wonderful, wonderful next-door neighbours, you know. We choose our friends, but we don't choose our neighbours. Have you noticed that? <clears throat> God arranges that. Now then, until your revelation works in your living relationship with people, you haven't got it. All you've got is a crisis in a situation. 
But when your revelation works in your situation, you don't have a crisis. But you've received the revelation. And you know, it's an amazing thing, if I can just mention this to you. I'm not a photographer, but there's something so wonderful about photography. Some of you brethren probably can put me straight if I go off. But um, as far as I know, I'm giving you the truth. We all like to capture something. You know, uh, the grandchildren on the donkey. Uh, Jack and Jill outside the church just be married. All the cameras click, 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 click. Now then the first thing you need is light. Either from the sun or from a flash bulb. Then in that flash you capture something. And it tumbles upside down through the lens onto something that we call a negative. Then you look at the negative. You say, there you are, Jack and Jill outside St. Margaret's on Saturday when they got married. What? Yes. No. Yes. No. Look, Jill's got a black dress on. She's got a black face. That's no good. I'm going to turn it up. No, 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 no. Don't turn your, don't tear your negative up. Tear your positive up. But never your negative. Because you'll never have a positive except through your negative. Your negatives are the most precious things in your life. Not only in your camera, but in your life. You'll never have a positive without the negative. Well, what, 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 what do I do with this? My negative. Take it into your dark room and develop it. And bring back that light, that liberty, that anointing that God imposed upon you as a sovereign gift without consulting you, but now you must bring it back by living faith in the dark. And you bring it back and you focus the light through the negative onto a sensitive paper and get your positive. But you've got to do that. You've got to develop it in the dark. And there's actually a, a tank of acid to baptize the thing in. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yes. So now you're faced with something. God has married the two together. Revelation and situation are married. You're anointing on and you're working at two parts of the one whole. You must have the two. You need your negative. And until you're positive about your negative, you'll never have a positive. But everybody's positive with the positive and negative with the negative. But God is positive with the negative. Because all things work together for good to them that love God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Now then, somehow you've got to develop your negatives. Make lemonade with your lemons. You see something in a meeting. Oh, Jesus is so wonderful. Praise God. Then you go back out the meeting, you find something that isn't wonderful. To say, well, Jesus is wonderful, but I'm not, I, I, I'm not giving thanks for him. Snoring with the newspaper over his face, he's let the fire out, never washed a pot since I left the house. I tell you, I tell you, I tell So what? Joseph had to view his brethren and say, it was not you, it was God. Our purity is seeing God in everything. In everything. You develop your negative. You will have your negative, so you've got to do something about it. You either tear it up and make a mess of it, or you develop through your negative. Now then, if you develop, consider this. If God's going to fill you, he'll empty you. If he's going to clothe you, he'll strip you. If he's preparing you for the multitudes, he'll put you in a wilderness all on your own. If he's going to prepare you to go up the mountain, he'll take you down the valley. 
The Son of God was mocked and spat upon, a crown of thorns on his hand, jeered and ridiculed. But he's coming back again, and every knee shall bow, because God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. They'll not spit, they'll not mourn. No, they'll not mock anymore. But the Son of God shall be revealed from heaven with flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not the gospel and obey not the truth. And in that day, you'll say, thank God I belong to Jesus. You tremble for those who don't. See this, brother, sister. God has arranged your life. It's so wonderful. Take your negative. Go home tonight from this meeting where there's been a lovely anointing and you've been seeing things and rejoicing in the spirit. But don't think that you are what you've seen in this meeting. You've still got your situation to follow up your revelation. Now then in your situation, in the dark, the anointing's gone now. Oh, it was lovely Fiskerton on Saturday, wasn't it? But now it's Tuesday. Or it's Thursday. And you're no farther on than you are at your lowest moment. Whether it's when your wife asks you for another couple of pounds. Or whether it's the children who are shouting and yelling when you wanted to be quiet. Or whether it's that neighbor who's borrowed the fork, the spade and the wheelbarrow. Never brings them. Did you ever have a neighbor like? Oh, I did. I finished up with all my tools across the road. And I went over to him one day. I says, look, we've now reached the stage. Whatever I want, I have to borrow it from you. Everything that belongs to me is now your side of the road. Now what are we going to do about it? Because I've run out of grace. I'll tell you what you have to do when you run out of grace. You run into truth. Then when you run into truth, it turns the tap of grace on again. But you can't pretend to be more gracious than you are. And if you've run out of grace, you've got to have the truth of it. And say, look, I'd like to knock your block off. I know I'm all wrong, but it doesn't alter the fact. I should go the second mile, I've gone the 42nd mile with you. And I've no more grace, and I'm wrong, and I've got to say, God have mercy upon me, but that's where I am. And I'm not gonna get any more grace until I have the truth. You've got to own the place you're in before you can disown the place you're in. And if you won't own it, you'll never disown it. That's why some people never get delivered, because they never have the truth of where they are. But just to finalize, you see, we're now developing in the dark what we've seen in the light. Why do you have the light? Believe in the light. You see, now then, in the dark, you've got to focus what you've already seen through your negative onto that sensitive paper to get your positive. And then you're back again by a work that's wrought in you instead of an anointing on you. But the anointing on you is the process of courting or wooing. The work in is marriage, where God has to do a work where it's wrought in, where you say, I will to Jesus. And then as he works in you to will and to do, you begin to see Jesus enlarging in you. You know something? I'm not hoping to get better. I'm not expecting to be improved. I believe God wants to replace me. And that is Christ in you, the hope of God getting glory out of you. Jesus says, Father, you in me, I in them.
that they all may be made perfect in one. Thank God for the law of the spirit of life, Amen. which is in Christ Jesus.
Thank you and thank you and thank you all. Hallelujah. For Jesus' sake. Amen.